Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. God, we thank you for today. God, and thank you as Noah so accurately described um, for the blessing of being able to commune with you and take communion today. God, but at the same time, calling in the origin story of that symbolism, deliverance from bondage and deliverance from sin now. That God, maybe there are people in this room currently who are feeling a level of the bondage of sin or the bondage of just feeling like they can't get free of something, God. And may as they leave or as they process today, they think about the fact that what they just partake in, partook in was the symbolism of freedom. And that freedom is what you purchased for us on the cross. So God, we step into that freedom and out of the condemnation and shame that the enemy tries to tell us we live in. And God, you have permission to form us in your image always. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Um, So I'm going to be talking on something in here at Fixate. You know, we kind of jump around. Um, Typically, there's kind of two streams of teaching uh, philosophy as it pertains to church. You have topical, in which you take a topic, you break it down. And then there's another one called exegetical, in which you take a passage or a book and you go through it kind of slowly over time. And so we kind of uh, practice both of those different teaching styles. However, for the next eight weeks, we are going to be jumping into a deep study of, drum roll please... Oh, dang, people were on it. Okay. Sermon on the Mount. It's like four amens. Everybody else is like, that's a really confusing passage of scripture. Um, So we're going to be talking about, we are going to be going through uh, anywhere from, I think today we're spending uh, the first six verses, but anywhere from six to, I would say, 13 or 14 verses of Matthew 5 through Matthew uh, 7, in which we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, why is that? If you were here last week, you know that I was uh, specific about a phrasing. And the phrasing was this, is that for a lot of us, we've grown up our entire lives and we've heard, if you've been in faith, that it is not earned, it's been given. Which is absolutely true, that you did not earn the right to be given the grace of God, that you didn't earn the right for him to sacrifice his son on the cross for you. It was given to you. Now, here's the other part to it. But there is an effort required to understanding the fullness as There's an effort required in understanding what you haven't earned. Now, some of us are like, wait a second, how does that make sense? Great example, right? If you, on Christmas morning, as a kid, went down the stairs and there's a huge present there, right? Your parents looked at you and said, there's no, you didn't earn this, it's yours. What's required for you to get to that present? Unwrapping, opening the box, using what's in the box, Learning to whatever it is, learning to use it in your life. See, a lot of us, it's, it's facetious a little bit, but at the same time, for a lot of us, what we don't realize is there is a gift that's been given. However, have we explored through our efforts what that gift truly means to us? And what I mean by that is you'll hear us over time just harp on this a lot. And I apologize for saying it for the 4,772,644th time. 
I'm not keeping track, but I'm surprised that I came up with that number that quick. Uh, you'll hear us say it a lot. These habits, routines, disciplines, and a lifestyle of following Jesus in which we understand what has been given in a way through our efforts that we live in fullness and fulfillment of what he did for us. And so, like I said, we're going to be spending a bunch of weeks talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Now, week one is this. Sermon on the Mount, part one, I'm calling it, the beatitude beginning of redirected efforts. The beatitude beginning of redirected efforts. Now, here's what you have to understand at first, is before we jump into Matthew, uh, before we jump into Matthew chapter 5, what you have to know is this, Matthew actually is an incredible uh, order. And, and what I mean by that is his gospel is designed to g- be given to a Jewish audience. Now, why is this important? If you look at other gospels, they all have kind of these different um, language tendencies. But Matthew's specifically is a gospel in which he's writing to a Jewish, Jewish audience. Now, that's important because if you find out, you realize that there's a, a chasm that has grown between the practicing Jews and the practicing ones who are following Jesus' teaching and lifestyle. So much so that the the argument of, of how and what to do if you're both of those things, both Jewish upbringing and a follower of Jesus, has caused massive friction to where people are literally disowning children if they're leaving the traditions of the, of the Jewish custom. Now, Matthew essentially writes this gospel to point out that Jesus is not coming and saying, I'm abolishing all of Jewish philosophy, teaching, and lifestyle. He writes this gospel as a fulfillment of the fact that now what we, he, we're redirecting our efforts from the Old Testament lifestyle to the New Testament lifestyle of Jesus' being and person redirecting the effort. I say that because for a lot of us, we don't realize that this entire passage, the Sermon on the Mount, is really a, a, uh, a war of culture. Jesus stands up on the mountain giving his first teachings. And if you know what's going on in Matthew, he's been healing. But this is the first time where we're like, he's he's going deep. And what he's going deep on is centered around a term, and I would call it counterculturalism. He's standing up, and what we're going to focus on today is he pronounces nine blessings, but none of them make sense. His wording doesn't really make sense. His agenda, even that, doesn't really make sense. What is it about this story? And for a lot of us, we can explain away or say, oh, well, this is what was intended or this. But if you think about it, the very first message he's giving is a message of who he would become, who he is, and who he's challenged all of us to be. Now, I say this because this passage has incredible uh, teachings that we've all heard, whether it's the golden rule or build your house on the rock. But a lot of us miss the fact that this is not just some mystical in the air, hope that you grasp something that makes sense teaching, but rather you actually see in the very beginning, and I'm going to quote it briefly in Matthew 5.19, as well as in Matthew 7.24, that Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount with those who with the term, those who practice will be great in the kingdom. And he closes the Sermon on the Mount with those who practice this will be like a house built on the rock. What am I saying? Right? A lot of us, 
if we're honest, we would love to be known as great. We would love our, our lives to be built on the rock. But what is the two common denominators? The practice of. What am I saying? See, a lot of us, like I said, we've been raised in a, in a you-don't-have-to-earn-it culture. And what that seeped into is I don't have to put any effort in either. And then we wonder why the house feels like it's not on the rock. And we feel like we don't really know the kingdom of God is because the effort hasn't been there to actually see our lives become those things. So this entire passage is not just Jesus throwing out these backhanded remarks to people who've lost sight of the way of functioning and thinking. Rather, this entire passage is about a practical way of living your life in which you walk in the fullness of God, experiencing the peace of God and seeing the presence of God in every part of your being. So without further ado, the beatitude beginning of redirected efforts. Let's jump into Matthew 5, 1 through verse 12. It says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are Jesus' first real kind of uh, formed teaching that we have. Where he steps up and as this man's been healing and miracles and different things. Now we're starting to unpack what the mystery is behind the man. And believe me, it's mysterious. Why? How about this? If I were to ask you right now, what is it that God blesses in life? Many of us could easily start shouting out, oh, good character, hardworking, smart, people who do the great performers, people who do it, tithers, obviously, that was a joke, not really, but kind of, (laughs) pastors, Green Bay Packer fans, Notre Dame fans, not Cowboy fans, not 49er fans, you guys want me to keep going on this, Uh, Suns fans, right, not Laker fans, no, I'm just kidding. People are like, where are you going? Nowhere. I'm just ad-libbing, okay? Goodness. But a little bit true. Anyway, according to the book of Micah. Some people got that a little late. But here, here's the actual Jesus list. The poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The gentle. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, the persecuted. My personal favorite, the persecuted again, but specifically the ones who are talked bad about. (laughs) Why does it, you read this and a lot of us are like, amen, God, yeah. And I read, if you're you're a Jewish listener in that day and age, you, you listen to this and you're like, these are some random ones he's picking. Like, 
not like the keeper of the Mosaic law, not the ones who are circumcised, not the ones who practice the Passover feast and all the other festivals and things throughout the year, not the ones who are ceremonially clean. Like, okay, I'm struggling to comprehend this. But what did I start with? Redirected efforts. And I say that because I'm about to tell you a story and all of you are sworn that you are not allowed to judge me at all. My mom's in the front row too, so I'm going to get in trouble for this later, but it's fine. It's not about you, but you, you know, you'll want to spank me. It's fine. Um, and essentially, what we, what we find in a lot of what's going on is Jesus comes on the earth And what he's confronting is an ideology of I want to do just enough to be in the kingdom, but not enough to know the fullness of the kingdom. And this, in my opinion, is the thing that's not talked about, that is talked about in all this, is essentially Jesus confronting the reality that people don't know the fullness of him because they haven't given given themselves to the fullness of him. Not practiced the fullness of what it means to be a follower of him. What am I getting at? These redirected efforts are saying, I know that you think this is a passing grade, but this is no longer a passing grade. This is the passage of scripture where it says Jesus references that you say you can't get get a divorce, but even one who looks lustfully is committing adultery. Even one who thinks of murder is a murder. What am I saying? He is redirecting efforts in a profound way to up a standard, not of, wow, this is going to be difficult, nobody can do it. But no, if I give my everything to Jesus, I become who he has intended me to become, and I feel the fulfillment And the wholeness of him. These are terms that I use often here. Why? Because I'm not going to stand up here and tell you to follow Jesus without an end goal in mind. And the end goal is this. I believe that there is a creative purpose in every person. And that creative purpose comes from our creator and gazing upon him. But part of that creative purpose is wholeness. It is contentment. It is fulfillment. It is the peace of God. When I was in high school, um, this is me going to that story, just so you know. Um, When I was in high school, if you go to high school, you know that uh, there's usually kids that there's three types of student, right? You got the ones who are good at English and history. You got the ones who are good at math and science. And then you have the guys who take gym class too serious. (laughs) No guys in here, right, that take gym class too serious even today or intramural sports, or pickup games, or anything. Anyway, um, I fell into the latter. Gym class was a very serious activity for me. Um, I took it very serious. And I was like one of those guys, too, that had gym class at like fourth hour. And so like, you know, if you go hard for an hour, and you still got three hours of school left, and you're like drenched in sweat, people are like, what happened? You're like, oh, gym's fourth hour. It's like, why are you going that hard in gym class? Why are you not? (laughs) Sorry, I'm good at dodgeball and basketball, and you suck, but I'm not really. But here's the thing. I actually was, I I feel like I I was naturally good at English and history uh, with writing and different things like that. But man, math and science. If you like math and science in here, I. It's like two people are like, yeah, math and science. Yeah, thank you, Bob. But, uh, and, and not only that, I was a triple threat. I was private, public, and homeschooled. Right, triple threat. I grew, I grew up getting after it. And if you were homeschooled your whole life, man, I'm praying for you. Um, 
She's like, uh. <laughs> my senior year, though, I was uh, in physics. And a part of my family is this, is if you had C's, you didn't have a weekend life. <laughs> you were grounded. And so here's the thing, is in the, in the classes I struggled in, what did that mean? That the barometer was a 79.6. What is a 79.6? A B minus. So the classes I struggled in, and once again, all of you, this is a judgment-free zone. Obviously, I'm sanctified and righteous now by the blood of the Lamb. We've sung about it. But physics, physics and math were like, they were tough. They were tough. And uh, I didn't always love them, slash still, you know, a little don't. But physics, and I was in geometry and algebra in high school, but I knew, man, it, by the end of the week, if I was not at 796 my weekend activities would not be happening. <laughs> and so in physics specifically, what I found out rather quickly, one, was my teacher uh, was 24. I was 18 at the time. And most of my life, I always was friends with older people. So me and my physics teacher actually were more friendship level than teacher-student level, uh, to the point that he would have me input his grades on his computer just because he didn't like to do it. So... so what I had figured out in this, what I had figured out in this, in this class, though, is this, is if I, and once again, this is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> if, if I copied my friend's homework, and then I got a D on the tests and the quizzes, I literally could get a 79.6. Now, the only problem is this, if you copy your friend's homework and you don't listen in class, what, you can't get a D on a test or a quiz, and so what would happen is, is, I'll never forget this, I remember I would input the grades and mine would go from an F to just a, a low D, right? Not enough to cause a stir, because if you're going to change your grade, who changes it from an F to a D minus, right? But, but I'll never forget this. At the end of the year, my teacher comes up to me and he looks at me and he goes, Micah, I was going through the grades this year and we like kind of had a funny uh, relationship. And he looks at me and he goes, did you get a B minus in my class? And I looked at him, I said, yeah, all year, B minus. And he, look, he looked at me, he goes, you never passed a test or a quiz ever, like ever. And actually, there's another story in which he pulled me out in the hallway checking on me one time because I got an eight out of 104. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, he looks at me and he goes, how did you, he goes, he goes, B minus, huh? And I said, B minus. He said, you have a good one, Mr. Shepline. <laughs> Now, some of you guys, I don't incriminate myself for no reason. I want you to understand something. I was focused on a passing grade with a failing effort and failed prioritization. I was focused on a passing grade with a failing effort and failed prioritization. This is the climate that Jesus is walking into People focused on just doing enough to be considered Jewish and hopefully getting their plot in heaven and not enough to actually know their creator in a way in which he totally transforms their life. When I talk about how Jesus is redirecting the effort, this is what he's doing. Looking at people who are content and comfortable with bare minimum living and wondering why they're not fulfilled, wondering why they're not content, wondering why they don't know the fullness of God. And what does Jesus do? 
invites us to a new lifestyle of counterculturalism, but at the same time, crucifying the flesh, sacrificing the difficult areas in our lives, not in hopes that we would be a new creation, but rather that he would make us a new creation in his image. And so today, what I'm going to do, I actually do not have enough time. Um, I don't have enough time to go through all of the Beatitudes today. So this is part one of the Beatitudes because I felt challenged this week. This is a component that I think is, is um, overlooked. Okay? We know that Jesus, is a native tongue, um, was Aramaic. We know his, his native tongue, when he spoke, was, that was kind of the common tongue of the Hebrew people. Now, I'm going to be breaking down the words in the Greek today. Why am I doing that? Because that is what Matthew was written in. Now, many scholars and historians believe that as Matthew wrote in Greek, he was actually studying works of Aramaic that were Jesus' native tongue. So, what am I trying to get out? See, a lot of us in church, there's like this, this debate of if we can trust words and different things. I'm not going to lie. Like the, the level of detail and attention paid by Matthew to author this particular text is a, prof, is a profound attention to detail in which he's looking at Aramaic texts that we don't really have today, but he's transforming them in Greek on purpose. Why? Because Greek was affluent. Greek was more widespread. He's essentially saying, I'm going to take Jesus's native tongue in which smaller portions of people can't speak, and I'm going to try to break it down as close as I can to Jesus' intentional message so that it could be more widespread. And now today what we're going to do is we're going to return back to some of that Greek and spend a bunch of time understanding the first four Beatitudes in the Greek and what actually the definitions mean to you. Now, the reason I say that is because many of us were like, okay, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, well, that's poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Like, we can easily disassociate ourselves from these things and not realize the intended meaning behind these things are an invitation to a life of deeper dependency and deeper relationship. So today, as we start, I want us to actually understand before we even get going what blessed means. Blessed is the Greek word makareas, and it means blessed, happy, or fortunate. Now, what's interesting about the text that we see in the Greek is this, is literally, and I want to introduce this thought to you, blessed actually is synonymous and interchangeable in the New Testament transcripts with happy. Blessed and happy can be interchangeable in the wording. Isn't that interesting where it frames your thought from now on? If we were to take blessed are the peacemaker, what if we just took out blessed in all of these and put happy? All of a sudden, you're starting to think a little bit differently. But the reason I say that is because a lot of us, when I say the word blessed, all we can think about is consumeristic, superficial Western culture of, okay, what is a blessing? More money. What is a blessing? A bigger house. What is a blessing? A newer car. What is a blessing? More zeros in my bank account. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, happy. Now, Is your happiness worth everything as it pertains to consumerism? Absolutely. Why? Because we have learned in our culture you can have everything and not be happy. And what happens? Your life is terrible. So Jesus is introducing blessed, not from, hey, you're going to get a lot of things, but you'll be happy. So that's our first point, right? 
So let's jump into it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what the Greek wording is for poor in spirit? Poor means tohas, and it's one who is reduced to beggary, begging, asking of alms, destitute of wealth, influence, power. He is lowly, afflicted, or destitute of Christian value or eternal riches. Spirit is pneuma, and it means the rational spirit, the power by which a human being feels, thinks, and decides. The power by which you feel, you think, and you decide. So the poor in spirit is those who, as they're thinking, feeling, and deciding, are feeling reduced in who they are, destitute, powerless, not wealthy, lowly, and afflicted. Or should I say it like this? I'm going to give you two definitions for each one of these. How Micah reads it from the definition, and Jesus is implied reasoning underneath it all from the definition, okay? Now, for some of you too, tomorrow, I'm, when we send out the text, the reason there's no notes on the screen, some of you guys are like just frantically, just like, How, what is going on? Uh, is because the, these notes are just too long. They wouldn't have fit on the screens. And so I want to encourage you, if you want the notes tomorrow, we can send them out um, via text. So just listen and receive, and I trust that it will sink into the, to the soil. But so it reads Micah's version of these definitions. It says this, Blessed and happy is the one reduced to begging, destitute of wealth, influence, and power. And they feel this in the depths of their soul in every place that a human being feels, thinks, and decides. And in this place, there still is the kingdom of heaven. Or Jesus is implied inferring from these Greek definitions. Blessed will be the one who needs me As a source of strength, for if I am their strength, the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed will be the one who needs me as a source of strength, for if I am their strength, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Greek wording for mourners or mourning is pentheo. And this means to mourn for, lament, grieve, to wail. It is both an interior and exterior display of grief. The Greek word for comfort, parakaleo. And this means to call to one's side. Let that sink into you today. When it says comfort in scripture, it literally means to call somebody alongside you as you're ailing. To call somebody to help you in a season in which you cannot help yourself. What a beautiful picture. To call to one side, to call for, to encourage, to strengthen. Or in Micah's terms, blessed and happy is he who grieves, wails, and laments. For he calls me alongside him to strengthen, encourage. And comfort. Or Jesus' inferred message Blessed is the one who needs me to comfort them, for I will be so close, it will feel as though I am alongside, and they will know my strength. What am I saying, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed is the one 
who needs me to comfort them, for I will be so close. It is as if I am alongside, and they will know my strength. The third one, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Gentle in the the Greek is praus. This is a mildness of disposition and also a gentleness in the spirit. What's actually interesting is praus, this word is found in another location, Matthew 21, verse 5, as Jesus is is summoning his disciples, or, or a disciple to grab the donkey that would lead him in on Palm Sunday. And essentially he's saying, I'm coming in in this gentleness of spirit as he's getting ready almost in a week's time to be crucified. But here's what you have to understand. As I read this, In breaking it down as it pertains to gentleness and inheriting the earth, what I see is this. Blessed are those who are gentle of spirit, mild in disposition, and do not get bent out of shape by the world. I need to say that again. Blessed are those who are gentle in spirit, mild disposition, and do not get bent out of shape by politics. Blessed are those who are gentle of spirit, mild in disposition, and not, do not get bent out of shape by the financial distresses of this world. I could just keep going on this. For they will inherit the earth. Jesus' inferred one underlying is this. Blessed is the one whose spirit is gentle. For from this place, I can entrust them with all creation. I love this one specifically because what, you, what were we created to do? What was Adam created to do in the garden? To practice dominion over the earth and walk alongside God. What is this saying? This is similar language. In the one who walks in gentleness will be given the dominion over the creation that was the intended purpose I had for them in which they walk with me as well. The last one I have for you is this, and it's the meatiest one, so don't worry. We're, we're all in it together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The Greek words for hunger and thirst. Hunger, pineo, which means to suffer want, to be needy, to crave ardently, or to seek with an eager desire. Thirst, dipseho, those who are said to thirst who painfully feel their want and lack of, eagerly longing for the things which their soul needs to be refreshed, supported, and strengthened. Righteousness. This is the hardest one out of all of them. Dikesune. And it means integrity, virtue, purity of life, a right standingness, correctness of thinking, of feeling, and of acting. I love righteousness. It's not just this right behavior. It's thinking, feeling, and acting. And satisfied. Heart kadzo. This means to fulfill or satisfy the desire of anyone to fill and satisfy with food to a fattening sense of which you cannot consume anything else. So it reads, blessed are those who suffer, need, and crave, who painfully and eagerly long to be refreshed by the integrity, virtue, and purity of life in me, for they will be fulfilled and satisfied to more than enough, not able to take anything else in but me. 
or Jesus inferred meaning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after me and me alone. For they will live a satisfaction and fulfillment that no words can put language to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I pray you see the invitation, the challenge, the blessing, and the tension of these definitions, and that you would be blessed as they explore, as you explore what they might mean to you. Would you stand to your feet? In closing, as we worship, um, in closing, as we worship, I just would like us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just want to read once again these inferred things that Jesus was saying based off these Greek definitions. Blessed will be the one who needs me as a source of strength, for if I am their strength, the kingdom of heaven is theirs blessed is the one who needs me to comfort them for I will be so close it will feel as if I'm alongside and they will know my strength blessed is the one whose spirit is gentle for from this place I can entrust them with all creation blessed are those who hunger and thirst after me and me alone for they will live a satisfaction and fulfillment that no words could put language to. A habit we have here is a time of just stillness and solitude. In scripture, it says to be still and know that I'm God. And for some of us, this might be some of the only time all week in which we're just present to our feelings, emotions, thoughts. Some of us, we maybe know we need to pray prayers or repent or ask forgiveness or ask for grace or some of us we just want to say Jesus can you can I sense your presence and feel your peace others maybe we're processing some of these specific to us but I challenge all of us let's be present in maybe the next minute or so to just stillness and quiet allowing God to speak to us and we'll close with one final song